0: The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champchurch.com. So as we get into the Word this morning, I I want to to trust and believe God for something great. Now, here's one of the challenges with, with bringing any message at all, ever. So if you were, were to be in your seat, and I came up to you and said, hey, you know, God's kind of moved on my heart that, that uh, I think you should bring the word next week. How do you feel about that? And you said, well, I feel the same. And you were to bring the message next week, you would be surprised at, at how, you know, God would speak to you, direct those things, and you would bring it, and, and something would happen. I mean, there's a, a, an element of bringing the word when, when God's generating the word and he's speaking to us people will feel as if you're speaking directly to them. And you'll, you'll hear that a lot. In fact, I, I used to take that as a, a really high compliment, not in the sense of, hey, attaboy, good job there, preacher. You, you really had a silver tongue today, but more of a, a confirmation that you were in the flow of what the Holy Spirit was doing. And, and so what's funny is when you bring a topic, certain topics, people may feel more preached at than preached to sometimes this is a preached at topic when you talk about things like like repentance and the change that it's called to bring I want to encourage everyone in the room to not feel preached at I want to assure you and guarantee you that there's not a single person in this room that this message was designed or written for Uh, rather this is what was stirring in my heart to bring to the congregation collectively and so that's what we're doing uh, so as we get into the Word this morning, with that in mind, I want to give you a few things to look forward to here. Uh, one is going to be what heaven pays attention to. There's something that we'll see in the Scripture that heaven pays attention to, and, and I think it's worth making a note of. I mean, if heaven is noticing it, I, I think it's worth uh, uh, paying attention to and, and, and giving our attention to it as well, and realizing that uh, heaven's, heaven's giving its attention to cert- such things. A second thing that we're going to find is, what matters to Jesus? What matters to Jesus? I mean, what an interesting, even, sentence to speak. When I speak it, I think, like, that's, that's provoking to me. Have I stopped and asked myself, when I'm functioning, when I'm working, when I'm communicating, you know, in any way, shape, or form, what's important to Jesus right now? You know, what matters to Jesus? And we'll see something in the Scripture that matters greatly to Jesus, and, and he makes that very clear. Uh, and then a, a third thing that we're going to find is, is what I'm referring to. Now, the word the doesn't come out and say it uh, so specifically, but I'm referring to it as the key to change, the key to change. Now, if you are like me, there's a number of things that you desire to see changed. Some of those things I, are in my life, uh, and I want to see those things change. Some are in the, the circumstances and the situations that I deal with and address, whether those be relational or, or whether they uh, be in some other form, where you want to see change introduced. Well, I believe that there is a key to, to change, and we'll see what that is uh, as we get into the Scripture. So I, I want to jump right in. I mentioned we're going to find what heaven always notices. If you have your Bibles, we're going to look at the Gospel of Luke, uh, Luke chapter 15, and, uh, and specifically the verses, verse 10. Now, we have Jesus speaking here, and as he's speaking, he reveals something, and we're not going to take the time to to get into the the context of the conversation or the communication. Rather, we're just taking what he says here, and we're going to let it speak for itself. Luke 15, uh, verse 10, Jesus says, I tell you, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over even one sinner who repents. So this is a, a, an interesting thing to, to, to read and to consider, just to, to give our thoughts to for a moment. One, that heaven is noticing this. Uh, two, that it provokes a response. I mean, that's pretty interesting that it provokes a heavenly response. I mean, that there's a, a celebration, that there's joy in the presence of the angels. I mean, you can imagine that, that our measure really doesn't measure up to what's being described here. I mean, when I think about some of the most joyous moments in my life. Well, they're fantastic, they're amazing, but most of them are are relevant to me. Here here is a a great example, I mean like my wedding, right? Well, you know my wife, you love my wife, but you probably don't care much about our wedding. If you came over to my house and I said, hey, let me show you the video of our wedding, you would probably think like, how long is it? (laughs) You know, do we have to, right? It, that actually happened to my wife and I once. We had gone to, out with a couple. We had a, a, an enjoyable meal. They invited us back to their, their, their home for fellowship and, and coffee, and we went in, and then the wedding video came out. God bless them, man, but I was ready to go. Like, I, I, I don't know any of these people. I'm glad you guys are married, but I really couldn't care less. Now, that doesn't sound very pastoral. I'm being honest with you. And I believe that God will honor my honesty. So so, but you know, for them though, that was a real joyous event. And but it was it was relative to them. So when I consider the things that, you know, joy and, and create celebration in my life, I have a feeling that it, it pales in comparison to what Jesus is speaking about here that's taking place in the heavens. It's not something in the heavens that is relative. You know, rather it's something in the heavens that is known and understood in such a way that it's universally celebrated. You know, the word doesn't say there's a few of the angels who almost, you know, uh, uh, went the wrong direction, so they get it, and so they really get a kick out of seeing people repent. It just says there's joy in the presence of the angels when even one repents. I mean, it's this universal understood celebration. And so I look at that and I consider, well, wow, that's, that's interesting. One, that heaven notices. Two, that it, it provokes a response. And then, and then three, the idea of, of what this provocation is, the, is, is coming from. And it's the repentance of, of a sinner. In this case, even singular, where it's not even a mass group, but, but just one. And so when I read this, then I ask myself, does this apply to my life? And I have to say, yes, it does. Now, here's what I know. We stood together and we received communion this morning. And as we received communion, we were celebrating the wondrous work of regeneration. The fact that, that I would be born again, or you would be born again, or, or for the sake of the rest of this, let's just go with we. That we would be born again. That we would have all of our sin and all the corruption washed away from our life, not in part, but in full, past, present, and future. That sin would be, eradicated from our life. That's really why we can celebrate eternal life, right? Because it's the wages of sin that's death. So you get rid of sin, you get rid of death, and therefore you have eternal life, which is what we celebrate as believers, as as Christians. So as we celebrate those things, I, I, I look at this passage of scripture and I have to ask myself, does this apply to me? Did it apply to me once? Did it apply to me when I became born again? And according to the scripture, became a new creature. Old things pass away and new things come. Well, I think it would be safe to say yes, but, but if I were to ask then, does it apply day to day to my life? I've addressed this, this situation in my mind multiple times, and I come to the same conclusion that absolutely yes, and I'll, I'll explain why as we move forward. Because this passage of scripture isn't a passage of scripture about new birth. This passage of scripture is a passage of scripture about the change that's constantly taking place in the believer's life. You know, this doesn't say that, that I truly, I tell you that, that there is joy in the presence of angels uh, every time uh, somebody becomes a Christian or every time someone's born again, but rather it says every time someone who is in error, which is what sin is, sin is an error, Uh, changes, which is repent. And that's really what helps have a solid understanding of what Jesus is communicating here is to understand what it means to repent. Now, we live in a culture that's really not good at this. Uh, In fact, we're in a very apology-heavy culture. I mean, do you feel like the words, I'm sorry, are a little worn out? Well, I can tell you that I didn't realize how worn out they were until I got married and realized how often I say it. (laughs) I mean, a lot. I say it a lot, you know. And then you find out that you say it almost just like, you you know, it's kind of white noise. I'm sorry. You can even say it walking out of the room, turning your back to someone. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And unfortunately, you know, those apologies are meant to have an effect. They're meant to bring some consolation, but they become a little watered down over time. But when we look at repentance, we don't see apology because apology is just simply acknowledging that something was wrong. I mean, what's the benefit in that? If I were to afflict you and hurt you and then just acknowledge, yeah, I did it, does that help you at all? Does it help the situation at all? Not at all. So we live in this apology-heavy culture where we feel like we deserve a medal because we acknowledge we did something wrong. whoop de doo I mean, anyone who was involved in the matter knows you did something wrong. (laughs) That's not helpful. But but in the situation that we're looking at here, we're seeing not apology, rather repentance. And when we go to the word for a definition of repentance, it starts to make really awesome and powerful sense. That to repent means to to turn away from or, or, or to stop doing something. If you wanted to shorten it just to one word, which i really like to do to simplify things, it means to change. It means to change. So what we see here is we see something really amazing. I mean, Jesus is talking. He says, hey, guys, I tell you, heaven notices. And it has an impact on the heavenly environment. And let me tell you something, heaven is awesome. But this is so awesome that it distracts people from heaven and they notice this instead. That will tell you how powerful this is. What's the this? This is when somebody changes sinful ways. It's powerful. It's important. It's it's really the point of of what Jesus is doing as he's at work in our life, continuing to, to move us from what the word promises is glory to glory. It's not just a a road trip, but rather it is a series of transformations and changes that bring us to the place of maturity that God is raising us to. It's foundation. uh, It's foundational is the way I should say that. It's foundational in every aspect of our Christianity. I want to give you a passage of scripture here to look at from Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 6, I want to look at verse 1 and Here's here's what we have listed here. Therefore, leaving the elementary teachings of Christ, let us press on to maturity. I want to pause there for a second. This this passage right here, just this one sentence, reveals a tremendous amount of information. Okay, One, it reveals that that there are are elementary beliefs and feelings and and results, and then there are mature beliefs you know, feelings, thoughts, and beliefs. And and this is a really difficult thing to talk about because we know that God's work in our life is complete, but yet at the same time, we know that God's work in our life is continuing. It's a real mind-bending thing. I'll tell you something that took place, and it was one of those moments where you realize, like, this is either going to work or it's not, you know. You ever had a moment like that where it's either going to be hero or zero, well, I had been asked to go on a, a, a trip, uh, it was in West Africa, to to uh, be a part of some, some meetings and, and really my part in those meetings was to simply kind of work security and be there as a second body in case something didn't go right. Uh, so and to carry luggage and things like that, it was a very simple trip. I hadn't been invited to be a speaker or anything like that, but while we were... On, in route, when we were flying there, I was told by the the the, the speaker that had been listed, the, the headline speaker in that conference, because you're with me, they may ask you to to share some things. They may ask you to give your name. They may ask you to stand and wave. You know, they may ask you. So just be ready for that. And uh, so the the man that was there is a, a man named Larry Titus. Many of you know him. He wrote a book called The Telios Man. Now, Telios is a a Greek word for for perfect or complete. And it's in the scripture, you know, that the, the work of Jesus in your spirit, man, is, is perfect and complete. So this book is called, you know, if you translate it, it's, it's the perfect man, the complete man. And he stood and he, you know, as the, 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 whether you want to use a word like keynote speaker or guest of honor or, or headline speaker in this seminar, this, it wasn't a seminar, it was a conference, and all of these global leaders, and it was a, a really great event, he, he delivered the, the messages from the book that he'd written and it was really great about being the perfect man, being perfect in Jesus. And every word that he spoke was really spot on. And, and, I mean, I don't know a more biblically founded teacher than, than Larry. He's really amazing to listen to. And in fact, he's got so much scripture memorized, it'll, just, it'll make you feel dumb, really, because you listen to him and you're thinking like, you got a cheat sheet somewhere, buddy? Because I don't know anybody that can roll it out and recite it like he can. Phenomenal. And he delivered the message there, and he's very eloquent, very wonderful delivery, great response. And and then what I find out is, hey, we want uh, you to speak next. And the you in that case was me. Like, you mean smile and wave? No, no, bring a message. Okay. So here's that hero or zero moment, you know. Uh, stand up and and you're trusting that God is going to to provide. You're trusting that the Holy Spirit will inspire. And let me tell you something. From the moment that I've ever been called to do anything concerning delivering the word of God, I have stood on a passage of scripture and I stand on it even today that that it's not you who speaks, but it's the Holy Spirit that will speak through you. And that is what will provide the the, the confidence to, to stand and deliver and trust that God is at work in the people that he loves. And he loves you a lot more than I do. And I love you a lot. But He is here to speak to you, to minister, to touch your lives, and I trust that His words will do just that. So I'm standing there and I'm thinking, well, okay, you know, God, what do we speak? And keep in mind, these people have just heard the, the, the keynote speaker, the, the, the headline speaker deliver his uh, uh, main message from his new book about being perfect. And this is, these are the words that came out of my mouth when, when I took the podium. Greeted and smiled and waved. And I said, God has made you perfect. Now, we're in West Africa, so when you say something like that, the whole place erupts with one unified, amen. So God has made you perfect. Amen. And this was the next line. So why is he still perfecting you? There's no amen after that. It was just really quiet. It was like, you just insulted the main speaker. You just kind of stepped on his book. Where are you going with this? Oh, my God. And you could have heard a pin drop. It, it was like burping at someone's wedding or something. It was really like, who is this guy, and how dare he just say that, you know? But the word that we brought was about God's perfecting work in your life. The idea that your spirit, man, is, is perfect in Jesus. It, it, it's not going to get more perfect but rather, your, your life here in your soul, in your mind, God is at work. He, he's renewing. I mean, let me ask you this question. Do you think and feel and believe differently today than you did just five years ago? And I can tell you there's a lot of things that are different in my life today from, from just five years ago. There's some things in my life that are different today from five months ago. I mean, there's just things that God is growing and maturing. Your convictions change. The things that that maybe didn't bother you just a short time ago, now they do bother you, and so you cut that off. I mean, we change our attitudes and our behaviors and the things that we will embrace or condone and, and dare I even say, in this day and age, tolerate. By the way, if you want a really great quote, have you ever run into, uh, 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 you know, individuals in the, the Methodist church love John Wesley, right? And why not? They should. But I believe John Wesley would reform the church today that he reformed decades ago. I mean, there's, one of my favorite John Wesley quotes is that what one generation tolerates, the next generation will embrace. Have you noticed that that is proven to be true? So though toleration or, or tolerating or, or just tolerance has become kind of a buzzword, I, I would issue a warning with that. We ought to be careful what we tolerate. Because what one generation tolerates, the next will embrace. And I think that's something that we see. So the things that, that I would once be okay with, now I'm not okay with. And that's because the work of God in me. There are things that I used to not care about. And now I do care about them. And, and it's all because God is at work. So these things are, are changes, right? I mean, if one day something is okay, and then the next day you're not okay with it, something changed. If it didn't change, it wouldn't be different. We need to see this change, this this activity that's going on as a lifestyle of repentance, a lifestyle of change. Heaven notices and heaven gets fired up every time something that is, is, is sinful or every time that something is unfruitful in my life is recognized as such, and then change takes place to cut it off well, you know, that really hasn't added anything to, to my, my life. It, it only takes away. So I'm getting rid of that and I'm going to focus on the things that give God glory. That hasn't added anything to, to my sons or it hasn't added anything to my marriage. It hadn't added anything to my relationship with God. It's just a waste. So I'm going to cut that off and I'm going to focus on the things that bring life and, and add to the relationships that are priority in my life. Heaven notices that. Those are the Series; is, Those are the things that make up the series of changes that are valuable in our lives that lead to more productivity, to growth, and maturity. So we're here in Hebrews 6.1, therefore, leaving behind the elementary teachings of Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, but faith toward God. This should be at the foundation, changing dead works should be at the foundation of our Christianity. It shouldn't be the pinnacle of our Christianity. And unfortunately, today, it's a sign of, of maturity and, and it's a sign of, of, of a, a pinnacle in your Christianity to, to be willing to renounce things that are unfruitful. But rather, this is meant to be in the very foundation and the base. And if it returns to its rightful place to be foundational, to acknowledge things that are unfruitful and change them, and to embrace things that are fruitful and embrace them, then the growth and the maturity that God's word promises, I promise, will not disappoint. It will leave us in a place of satisfaction and joy and celebration. We will join in with that heavenly celebration that obviously sees the importance and the power behind this change that's meant to be a lifestyle that we walk in and live in. I want to give you a passage of scripture here. i mentioned before we're going to find out what matters to Jesus. I want to give you a passage of Scripture from the Gospel of Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 11. Now, you'll actually find the the verse that we'll stand on around verse 20. But Jesus has been ministering, and he's been ministering in, in, in tremendous displays of the power of God by the Holy Spirit. But I want you to keep these things in mind. I want to give you a few passages of Scripture in Matthew 4, 17, Mark 1, 14 and 15, Mark 6, 12, I mean, all of these passages of Scripture basically speak the same thing, that when the gospel was being preached, it opened with repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I mean, just change. Change because the word of God is here. The word of God is here to affect your convictions and your thoughts and your feelings The word of God is here to to make a difference in how you perceive and how you see what's going on in your life around you and the result should be change. That we find the things of the world less palatable and the things of the kingdom of God more enjoyable and desirable, we begin to have less of those things that are unfruitful and long for and seek after more of the things that produce change. So as Jesus is speaking here, you have a series of meetings, a series of of times where he's bringing the word of God, where you see wonderful and powerful things taking place, miracles, devils being cast out, sick being healed, lame rising up. You see the most incredibly powerful meetings that that you could record in history, and and there's uh, no denying it. The eyewitness accounts, the, the results speak for themselves. I mean, you just see these, this manifestation of the power of God, things that, that we today would see as, as amazing. And, and, and honestly, we would, we would immediately declare it, you know, a, a powerful, legitimate manifestation of, of the power of God. And most would probably see that as the point, but rather it's not the point. We're going to find out what matters to Jesus when we look at what he says concerning these things. He talks about these meetings, rather the cities where these meetings take place. And in Matthew 11 uh, verse 20, he, he says, Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent the power of God being manifest in your life is not the the, the pinnacle of maturity or or the point of God's work in your life. It's not the the ultimate achievement. Rather, the power of God active in your life is meant to produce something. The, The product that it's meant to deliver is the change that God is calling us to. I mean, consider this, that Jesus goes into these cities and and, and he, he preaches. In fact, there's scripture that says Jesus went into some cities and didn't do many miracles because they didn't believe or, 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 or something along those lines. So you can see that this is a city that actually believed. They came out for the meetings. They brought their sick. They brought their lame. They brought their demonized. They obviously trusted that Jesus was going to do something, but yet they missed the point. The power of God became more of a, a, a show to them then it became a, a means to an end, that end being the change in the transformation that the entire city in this case was called to. And if an entire city can be called to it, how much more can one individual, that being just me or you? When I look at, at the, the, the point of what's being spoken there by Jesus, that these cities that saw miracles, that saw uh, the power of God manifest, were not embraced, but rather they were denounced. I mean, Jesus wasn't saying, wow, those meetings were incredible because those people had so much faith and they believed. What a great bunch of people. What Jesus reveals here, and now I take great liberty in in the presentation, is just saying it's heartbreaking that such faith and such belief would miss the point. That it's not just God putting on a show. Rather, it's God affirming and confirming his power and his presence to bring about the promised change that we also desperately need in our lives. Repentance is the point. Change is the point. And it's that that, that precedes something fantastic and great in our life. I, I want to give you a couple of passages of scripture, and, and I want to uh, uh, offer these as we, we move uh, toward, toward the, the ultimate point of the day here. A passage of scripture from Acts chapter 3, verse 19. It speaks of repentance and the declaration is as follows. Therefore, repent and return so that sins may be wiped away and in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. I mean, that sounds pretty amazing. That sounds like a really fantastic promise. Think of any situation or any circumstance where you want to see relief, where you want to see change, where you need to see transformation, and ask, hey, do you think this would be a good solution to that? A time of refreshing from God. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. It's not just a break, it's not just some downtime, but rather it's an, it's an imparted solution from heaven that brings about refreshing, rejuvenation. And then that word refreshing is really amazing. Now I, we have used this before in a previous message, but I think it's worth reiterating because it's a really powerful uh, a definition, and it really brings home the potency of the message. That word refreshing, if you go to the Greek to look up its its actual definition, you know we translate it refreshing for readability, but the actual meaning is recovery of breath. Recovery of breath. Now, that's one that's really worth kind of thinking about. Have you ever had the wind knocked out of you? That's a weird thing, right? I mean, I've been in some tight spots. I've been hurt physically. I've had some things go sideways and and not be comfortable. I've been in a lot of situations where there was physical pain, but I can tell you there was a couple of times where I just had what, what people blew off, I just got the wind knocked out of them, it's like, then why do I feel like I'm dying, if it's that, I mean, this is the worst I've ever felt, and I think my life is ending right here and now, and everyone's just like, ah, uh, walk it off, think about even just holding your breath. I mean, you could, you could do it. I mean, we don't, I don't want to do it in, in this room, but you could. You could just say, hey, everybody, hold your breath, you know. And I mean, it starts off just kind of this goofy exercise, and then a few ticks of the clock go by, and it gets less comfortable, and then it gets even less comfortable, and then your entire body goes into panic mode because if you don't recover your breath, you'll die. I mean, recovery of breath is what we're talking about here. This is really urgent. Times of refreshing just sound nice and pleasant, Right. I mean, it almost sounds like a a perfume, Times of Refreshing by Calvin Klein, right? Or a cologne or something. It's like, what is that? Times of Refreshing. But for us, this is an urgent situation, and it all starts with change, repentance. Change to get rid of those ways that are unfruitful so that you can recover breath you want to know again to simplify it down to one word and this is this is from the concordance or or you know a bible dictionary so to speak if it goes down to the one word definition it's revival revival not just revival as in like hey y'all let's have a church meeting and we'll have us a revival but i want you to think about revival as as it's rightful way you can't revive something unless it's dead in the hospital if they begin to to resuscitate or revive a patient it's because that patient has flatlined I mean, revival, you could have a situation or a circumstance that you would write off as dead and over. I mean, it could be a family situation, it could be a marriage situation, it could be a business situation, you name the situation, it could be in the most urgent of circumstances or or scenarios to the point where you've even declared it dead and gone. Hello. That was a nice ringtone. I would... I used to dance more. I pastored a, a church, and the church was largely African in, in population. It was in Oklahoma. It wasn't uh, overseas. And, oh, I mean, just the, the different songs, and the diff- it was relevant to the congregation, so we would play some different songs, and they were really incredible, and a lot of the rhythms and things just made you move. Now, I mean, I'm still who I am, so, you know, it kind of starts like this. And then all of a sudden you look around and everybody else is like doing one of these with their hanky out, you know, and you just think like, I, I want to do that. So then one day you get the guts to do it and you just get going, you go, and everybody's just kind of looking like, what? And you, I got a little bit better. There's a woman in the church and she was, was fighting an illness and gone to her house to pray with her and her family and she was not doing well and and so it was kind of a solemn you know uh, feeling in the house there it's <clears throat> so standing there and we go to to pray she just says pastor i say yes you know and i'm just thinking anything you say you got it, you know i like i like the way you try to dance What do you mean try, lady? <laughs> what do you mean try. Come on. Oh funny, good times. But recovery of breath is urgent. I mean, if you think about any circumstance, any situation that you might be in, where, where things could even be considered at their, their lowest of low, the repentance change can bring about what's needed for something to recover and to be revived. I want to give you another passage of Scripture here as we move forward because we're going to to move to the the point here, and that was I told you we're going to find the key to change. But I want to find out what it takes to repent. Like there's a few things that that are necessary because you hear all of this, you realize, wow, this has the power to bring about recovery. This has the power to bring about refreshing. This has the power to bring these things about. It's not limited to being born again. This is a daily lifestyle thing of having our, our convictions uh, line up with the Word of God and to begin to embrace the things God embrace embraces and and release the things that god uh, uh, would would renounce so here's a, here's a few things that are necessary in order to have this be a lifestyle. One, you have to be able to recognize what's unfruitful in this case what, what's sin? you have to be able to recognize sin and keep in mind we're not talking about doing anything in addition to or beyond the blood of Jesus. We're talking about recognizing activities that exist in our life that are unfruitful. We're not talking about name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We're talking about the effects of choices and actions here on the earth and their effects hindering us from walking in the wonderful, powerful gift of life, the Zoe life, as Jesus put it, or abundant life that God has given us in Jesus. So Luke chapter 5, verse 32. I, I love this passage of scripture because Jesus is talking about uh, calling individuals, to say, I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I mean, that just tells me there's not a need for repentance if everything's right. Why change something that's right? You don't change stuff that's right. We say that different here in Texas. We say, uh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But that means to me that I need to be able to identify the difference between righteousness and sin. I need to see the difference between the things that are fruitful and unfruitful. Now, this is something that I can bring into my prayer life. God, will you open my eyes to see the difference between These things show me the things that are fruitful in my life so that I can continue to embrace them so that I can magnify my devotion to them and show me the things that are unfruitful in my life so that we can renounce them so that we can cut them out so that they might diminish. That's a good way to have that passage of scripture impact your prayer life. I need to see the difference. By your spirit, will you help me to do so? Uh, here's another one. Now this may sound kind of, of goofy, but this one is in, in the heart. I'll give you a, a passage of scripture here. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. Now it opens with, with this, and this is where we need to, to hear it and then identify what's being said. But listen close. The sorrow that is according to the will of God. Now, that's, that's, that's really thought-provoking, right? I mean, that would even be contrary to a lot of teachings that I heard growing up uh, concerning that, that. Surely, I mean, I used to hear this, and this used to kind of bother me because it was relative, but I would hear churches that would chant, you know, God, good, devil, bad. And I would think, well, there's, God's done some good stuff in my life that I thought was bad at the time, <laughs> you know. So if we, if we make it relative to what we interpret as good and bad, we could easily miss God, and the scripture warns against that. It says, woe to those that call good evil and evil good. So we want to be careful with that. But this passage of scripture here provokes a really interesting thought. There is a sorrow that is according to the will of God. Now listen to this. This is what it produces. The next word says that produces. There is a sorrow according to the will of God that produces repentance or change without regret. Leading to deliverance. Then it goes on to say, but the sorrow of the world produces death. What an amazing... We could spend our entire time this morning pondering that passage of Scripture. Two types of sorrow. One brings about change that's life-giving, and the other brings about change that deals in death. And that's a change. If you go from being alive to dead, that's a pretty big change. So you're dealing with two changes here. One of them is good, one of them is not so good, or one is just bad, obviously. But what we're looking at here is the sorrow that God gives that, that brings about repentance Versus what the world gives. So I have have had shame in my life before, and I've had conviction. They're not the same thing. I mean, I've done things that were unclean and foul, and I felt so ashamed and embarrassed. And most of the time, shame and embarrassment will lead to hide that thing, to cover it up. Where conviction will call you to expose that thing, to bring it out. To operate in the conviction that God will bring, to expose and to bring it out so that it can be dealt with and it can be changed, will bring about that life-giving promise, the, the good result. Even though in the moment it might be you know, hard to do, and man, this is embarrassing, but I need to confess something to you guys. Along those lines, something like that, it might not be desirable in the moment, but, but the result will be awesome. But shame leads to, to the cover-up, to the hiding. And then if somebody gets close to what you're covering up and hiding, you you, you, you shy away from them. You move away even more. You can see this big time in the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. You know, sin enters in. They're ashamed and embarrassed. And the first thing they do is they cover up themselves from one another and they hide from God. I'm going to deny you what you once had access to. Oh, yeah, and I'm also going to hide from God. That's the result of shame. Now, praise God, God will call us out of that. You know, when he makes the call, Adam, where are you? He's not scratching his head thinking, now, where did he go? He knows where he's at. But rather, it's a call to come out. It's a call to expose what was done wrong so that it can be dealt with and so that there can be change, so that we don't stay that way. God's very interested in raising us up. So, one, we need to be able to recognize what's righteousness and what's sin. Two, we need to be able to recognize What is the sorrow that comes from God versus the sorrow that comes from the world? What is conviction of the Holy Spirit or what is the shame of the devil? And we need to be able to recognize those things. I would introduce that into my prayer life. Father, let me be sensitive to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and let me be completely deaf to the shameful accusations of the devil. Let me be led by conviction and not burdened by shame. Great thing to introduce into your prayer life. I want to give you this, this last uh, scripture here. We're going to close with this. I mentioned we're going to find the, the key to change. I mean, again, remember, we, we all have things that we want to see changed and, and things where we need to see God's change at work in our lives. I want to offer this passage of scripture as, as a, a key, a, a necessary uh, element for change to take place. We're going to read the passage of scripture. We'll take it at face value. And then I want to, to take the time to think about it and allow that face value to, to multiply and to, to expand uh, into other, uh, other elements that, that it could have a real massive impact in. Uh, Romans chapter 2, verse 4. It's revealing a truth. And we're going to read the truth for what it is. And then I want you to consider what all that truth could be applied to. So, Romans chapter 2, verse 4, here's how it reads. Remember, our goal here is to achieve repentance or to achieve change. And Romans chapter 2 verse 4 is a reminder of this truth that it is the kindness of God that leads to repentance. It's the kindness of God that leads to change. So in and of itself it almost sounds like, you know, a cheesy fortune cookie. But if you start to think about the words here in this short statement you begin to see really wonderful and powerful things. One, that that change is the result of of kindness, right? I mean, oftentimes when I've wanted to introduce change, it has been by force or manipulation or or ultimatum, which is really force. I mean, just carnal man-made ways to bring about change, really the ways of a bully or a tyrant. That's no good. It's sure not Jesus. But change that we, see, that, that, that we see in the word that we know we're called to, according to this passage of scripture, is the result of kindness introduced into a situation, in this case specifically the kindness of God. But what I want to challenge you with is could that be just a law across the board? Kindness. And if kindness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, then couldn't the argument be made that all kindness is kindness from God? But the kindness of God leads to repentance. Now, that's another great word. The word leads. Think about the word leads. I mean, it doesn't force repentance. It doesn't make repentance come into existence, but it leads. You can't lead anything without being out in front. Meaning, I'm going to give my example for everyone to follow. I'm not going to wait. Hey, you get your act together, and as soon as you do, I might be back in. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. But what you have here is, hey kindness is going to bring about this change, and I'm going to be the one that's out in front leading for that change to come to pass. We tend to wait for someone else to do it, then we'll get on board when God has anointed you and called you to lead to the change that he's calling us to. And that's a really powerful revelation. I hope it translates and communicates because I believe it's fantastic. And I think it's the reason why you see the gospel the way the gospel is. Jesus is identified as the apostle, meaning he's the example. It's not just simply an instruction like a second set of law that just says thou shalt repent, but rather he would come and even be baptized in the baptism of repentance by John. And John would say, hey, 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 I got nothing to do with this. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus would say, no, I've got to do this. I mean, let me just give you a little paraphrase of that. I mean, it's, it's me taking great liberties, but, but Jesus is saying, I need to be an example. I can't be just like them, like I've emptied myself to do if I don't go through this. So though you're spot on, you're right. I don't need this. I am the pure spotless lamb of God. I may not need it, but I have to do it so that I can lead, so that I can lead them into repentance. Repentance. And that repentance bringing about that change that God's called them to. The open up the door for great things that God has promised us is going to require different actions. Different actions are going to require changing the way we do things right now. Biblically, that word is change and it makes perfect sense to me that every time Jesus would preach, he would open up his message with, hey guys, get ready to change because here comes the word of God. Get ready for your convictions to be altered. Things you used to be okay with, you won't be okay with them anymore. Uh, things that you 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 never thought were a big deal are about to be a big deal. Get ready to be changed. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. Oftentimes we hear the word repent and we just immediately go to a a state of, of hellfire and brimstone, you know, confess your sins or you're going to hell. And I think those are, are, you know, powerful and relevant points of contact with the idea of repenting. But the idea of repentance as a, as a lifestyle, you know, to have that be introduced into our, our prayer life. Father, I want to be a repentant man. I want my heart to be given to, to be moldable and, and pliable so that I won't be so stuck in my ways and my habits that, that this is as good as it gets but even today you're still the potter and I'm still the clay though I surrendered to you some 20 something years ago and was born again today here and now you are still the potter and I am still the clay let me be a man given and prone to the change that you would call me to let my eyes be open to see what is sin and what's righteousness. Let my heart be given to, to discern the difference between the sorrow that comes from you and the sorrow that comes from the world. Let me be a man given to change in the direction that you would lead me to change so that I can continue to grow, that I can continue to mature, I can continue to bring you honor and glory with every word that I speak, every action I perform. Let there be the change that you would call me to. I want that for me, and I want that for every believer. So there where you stand, I want to pray. I want to ask God to do a, a work in our lives. And it's a work that I'm going to just trust that the Holy Ghost is, is doing. He, it's, 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 it's who he is. But I want to emphasize our desire to surrender to that work. That it not just be something that's happening in the background behind the scenes, but rather it's something we become active and participate in. There where you stand, you can be in a state of agreement or receiving, however you choose to posture, but I want to pray trusting and believing God for something great for every one of us. Father, we thank you for your word. We bless your name. We thank you for your love and your affection for us. That you have indeed perfected us in Jesus and that you are indeed perfecting us in Jesus. Let these things be revealed in clear and understandable ways to us, each individually. And let our hearts be softened that we would be given to the change you would call us to. Let us be attentive to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And let our ears be deafened to the shame that would keep us in bondage. Let change and transformation be something that we would desire and long for that we would see and know your, your interest in our lives maturing and growing and prospering in every way. And let a desire to be a repentant people fill our hearts and minds and affect our lives in such a way that our lifestyle may change. into to that lifestyle that you would call us to, a lifestyle of sensitivity to your direction and your counsel given to abandon the things in this world that would be unfruitful and given to embrace the things of your kingdom that would produce. Let all the stubbornness and the pride and the tradition and the habit that might hinder these things, let it all weaken, crumble, and pass away. And let the humility of heart and the trust that you are the potter and that we are the clay define who we are and how we live. And we surrender to your shaping and your molding. Let all of our desires and our ambitions yield to your call and your purpose upon our lives. We trust in you. As we surrender our hearts and our minds, let a repentant lifestyle produce and let it produce the fruit that brings you honor and glory. Let it be a benefit to your kingdom and let it be a benefit to those around us. We rejoice, Father. Let everything unfruitful be laid down. And let all that you would call us to be embraced. Let us be a people given to change in the change that you would lead us to. We bless your name and we thank you. And we rejoice in your promise to lead us in the way we should go. We say thank you in Jesus' name. And all the saints declare Amen. Amen. amen.